We're looking at Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 in your pew Bibles on page 603. You'll want to have them out while I preach. You'll find that helpful. Page 603. And we're just going to read 1 through 4. Just Isaiah 61, 1 through 4 today. Hear the word of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me, He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captains and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the word of the Lord. Did you feel this week that you couldn't turn anywhere without seeing more pain? I mean, it was, just, it was just everywhere this week. You know, this kind of started with the, the pain from our colleagues at the University of Missouri, and we had a vigil here on our lawn to stand and to think when hard things happen, we pray about them, we move toward them, we don't shy away from them. And then there was a, a bombing in Beirut, and over 40 people were killed, and over 120 people were hurt. And then we heard the news about June DeBoer. And within the last week, three of our students lost their mothers. They don't want their names spoken of. They're more private, and we honor that. But they're walking around among us, and they are in deep pain. And then, of course, Paris. And we think... Oh my goodness, these people were doing what we do. They were at concerts. How many of you have been to a concert recently? They were eating at a cafe. They were drinking coffee. Anybody do that? And suddenly we, we have this very real understanding that this, this could be us. This could be us. And we have this little moment of like, wait, who do I know who's in Paris? And we have semester in France. Thankfully, all of our students are fine. But there's this sense like, it's everywhere and I can't get away from it. And that's just the stuff we know about. That's just the public stuff. Some of us are carrying things that very few people know about. We have Thanksgiving coming up and some of us are looking at that holiday and thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get through that. Because that parent is going to be there and we're just not doing well right now. 
or that sibling is gonna be there, or that aunt is gonna be there who always asks me if I'm dating anybody, and I just don't know. <laughs> and we just carry this stuff, and it's, it's the things like, you know, maybe you're really struggling academically, and everybody you hang out with seems to always get like A minuses all the time. You're like, what is with these people? How do they do this? And you're just staying up and you're laboring over this and you're looking at your GPA and you're looking at scholarships and how they're fading away. And you're just, you're just thinking, this is not what I anticipated for my college experience. Or you've got this depression that just hangs and you medicate it and you go to counseling, but it just is kind of there. a lot. And sometimes, honestly, it feels like too much. And we look around and we think, this is never going to get any better. Whatever the this is, the pain of the world, the pain on this campus, the pain in my own heart, it's never going to get any better. I'm just stuck right here. I see no hope for the future. It's not going to get better. I'm not even sure why I should stick around. I just feel stuck. That's a very common human landing place. When the sorrows and burdens of this world just seem so thick that we can't get away from, that we can't look at Facebook or turn, off the, turn on the news without seeing more pain, we just think, we're just stuck. This is never going to get any better. And we've been walking through Isaiah enough to know that that's exactly how the Israelites felt. They thought this is never going to get any better. We've been stuck here in Babylon for generations. We've been captives so long we don't remember what it's like to be free. They had had children and grandchildren now who had no idea what Jerusalem looked like, had no idea what it was like to hear Hebrew spoken on a regular basis, who had no idea what it was like to prepare and eat kosher food, had no idea what it was like to go to the temple and worship Yahweh. They were stuck. Stuck. And they're looking around and they're thinking, this is, this is never going to get any better. This is as good as it's going to get. We are just stuck here. This is it. This is all we got. Hope had been bled out of them. And they were stuck. And this is where Isaiah 61 comes in. And this prophet looks out at these very tired, weary people, people who have been captives for a long time, people who have just had it, and they're sure they're going to be here forever. And he says, hey, listen up. Hey, 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 come here, come here. Listen up to me, listen. Because the Spirit of the Lord has appointed me to bring you good news. <laughs> this is the best thing you're ever going to hear, Seriously. This is the best news. This is the best news of all. Listen to what he told me. He sent me to bring good news to the oppressed. Any of you Israelites currently feeling oppressed? 
All, all of you, okay, okay. Uh, bind up the brokenhearted. Anybody brokenhearted about Jerusalem, about the loss of your land, about the annihilation of your people? Yes, yes. I see that hand, yes. Should we proclaim liberty to the captives? Anybody here identify? Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> and release to the prisoners. Because if you're a captive and you take off your captor, you go to prison. And so he says, I know you feel stuck. I know you feel sad. I know you think that nothing's going to change. But let me tell you something, people. Yahweh is in the house. And he's up to something. So pay attention. Because I'm going to proclaim a year of the Lord's favor in just a day of vengeance. The favor of God far outweighs the vengeance of God. And I... God's, God said he's going to comfort everyone who mourns. Everybody. Everybody who mourns. And then the prophet does this really cool three-part parallelism. He says, first a garland. All right, you got that? And then oil. And then a mantle. Okay? So a garland was a wreath of flowers that was worn on the head. And it was worn when you were really happy, when it was a good thing. At your wedding, you would get a garland. The bride and the groom both, they get these cool flowers in their hair. When something really cool had happened in your life, when you had a milestone, when you were brought into the temple for the first time, garland, celebration, flowers of the crown of your head. And the second thing is oil. Oil was used to transition someone from a season of grief back into life. Oil was like moisturizing lotion. So the oil of gladness is like the best smelling, like when you go to one of those fancy bath stores and you like do all the testers and you're like, oh. <laughs> right? You're like, oh, let's try this one. I'll try that one. It was like that. That's the oil of gladness. And you used it to restore yourself after a season of mourning. And the oil of gladness would pour down. You'd use it everywhere. It would cover you. And then he says he's going to give you a mantle of praise, the garment that would cover you completely. And so what you see here is that you have a garland and you have oil and you have a mantle. The prophet is saying to the people that God is going to restore you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. He is going to restore you completely from top to bottom. And then the things that these are paired with, the ashes and the mourning and the spirit of despair or the faint spirit. So ashes were the external sign of grief. If you had lost someone, there were rituals involved in it. You may remember in the Old Testament there are times when they talk about sitting in sackcloth and ashes. An external sign that says you were in deep grief. Something bad had happened. This is why we use ashes on Ash Wednesday. We take ashes and we make the sign of the cross on our foreheads as a sign of mourning our sin. So ashes, external, everybody can see that something's wrong. And then there's mourning. Mourning is both external and internal. There are people who can know you well enough to look at you and say, you're not doing well. How can I care for you? There are people who can see the deep bags 
under your eyes when you mourn. They can see that you're not eating well. They can see that you're not sleeping well. It's an external expression of something that's happening internally. But those of you who've been through grief know that even once the outward signs of mourning have passed, you can still have this spirit, this faint spirit, this spirit of despair. So that even if a loss has happened long ago, when you see something, it triggers it. You see a color and you think, that was, that was my ex-girlfriend's favorite color. Or you're, you're driving down the street and you see a name and you think, oh, that was my favorite teacher who, who died. And there's just this trigger. And even though the grief was long ago, it just, it can come back in a minute. In just a second. In a blink, it can be right there. And so the prophet is saying, God's going to heal you from the outside in. From all the external things that people can see when you're upset, way into the deepest secrets of your heart that nobody knows about. God's going to heal you from the outside in. He is going to restore you completely. Top to bottom, outside in, complete and whole. And the prophet says to the people, and he's doing this for a cool reason. It's not just because he loves you, but he does. But he's doing it because people are going to look at you and they're going to be like, whoa, they are like oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his glory. You see, everybody had counted Yahweh out. The Israelites had counted him out. The Babylonians had certainly counted him out. All the neighbors around them had counted them out. Yeah, you know, those Israelites, they followed Yahweh. That didn't work out very well for them. That Yahweh's not worth very much. Look at them. They've just been stuck there with the Babylonians for a long time. Jerusalem's like an ash heap, just ruins. And God says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to heal you up, top to bottom, outside in, and you are going to display my glory. You're going to let everybody know Yahweh is in the house. You're going to let them know something big is happening, and this is how it's going to work, he says. You're going to build up the ancient ruins. You're going to raise up the former devastations. You're going to repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The prophet says to this weary people, he says, I've got good news for you. God is up to something. He is going to restore you top to bottom, outside in, and then he's going to use you to display his glory when you go out and restore others. That's the way this works. God heals you up. You get to help others heal. That's the way this works. That's the plan. God's not done with you. And that's still how God works. Let me tell you two stories about two students. The first one is Garrett, whom some of you know. I have his permission to tell this story. Garrett's a junior. And some of you know that when Garrett was in high school, he was jumping on the t- trampoline. He was very good at it. 
He was trying a new skill. He missed. He landed wrong. And immediately, he knew that he was very hurt. And through an amazing series of events that he could tell you, the event that could have killed him didn't, but it did take his ability to walk. And he was a runner, and he competed on the trampoline. He loved to be mobile, he loved to be out, and suddenly that was gone. And Garrett will tell you that for a while he was stuck. He lamented, he was ticked, he didn't know what was going to happen next. But God wasn't done with him. God was in the house. And God brought people into his life who didn't let him get stuck, who didn't let him sink into despair. And they said, you're going to have a rich and rewarding life. Now get your butt out, we're doing therapy. And he worked and he worked and he worked so that he could regain as much as he could. And he's still working so much so that if you go to his Facebook page, you can see video of him holding on to somebody else and taking steps. But that's not the best restoration. The real restoration is coming because Garrett has realized that what he wants to be when he grows up is a doctor who helps paralyzed people. He says, I want to be able to roll into somebody's room and say, I'm here to help you. Because somebody did that for me. And I want to learn everything I can about how to help people who've been paralyzed. God restored him, bound up his broken heart, and now he is becoming an oak. He is displaying the splendor of the Lord. He is helping people to repair and rebuild and live. The second story is about Danica. Danica's a senior social worker. And when Danica was 12, her dad died waiting for a second heart transplant, leaving her with just her mom and her twin sister. And as part of working through that grief, she and her sister attended a place called Ellie's House, which is a house that some of you know. It's, it's actually a bunch of houses that have the name Ellie's House. It's where children go when they've lost parents for counseling. So Danica went through this with her sister, and then she came to Calvin, and for the very first time in her life, she wasn't with her sister, because she went to a different school, and she wasn't with her mom, because she was back home. And being alone in this way opened up the grief in ways that she did not expect. And suddenly she found that her 12-year-old self wasn't done grieving. And so she cried, and she lamented, and she sought help, and she worked through it again and again and again, as she will for the rest of her life. Well, last fall, we had another student whose dad died, and I said to her, hey, would you reach out to him? Would you connect with him? She said, yeah, absolutely. And so she met with him for coffee once a month until he graduated and just helped him come to grieve his dad. And then this summer, Danica went through hours of certification 
so that she can be licensed to be a grief counselor at the Ellie's house in Grand Rapids. Starting this fall, starting I think next week, she will have her own group of children who've lost parents. And she will sit and grieve with them and point them to hope. Garrett and Danica could have gotten stuck. Each of them could have said when the loss hit, that's it, I'm out, I'm done. This is as good as it's going to get. God can't do anything with this. It's over. My pain is too much. My loss is too great. I may as well die. I'm just done. They could have gotten stuck. People get stuck. That was a big temptation for each of them to just get stuck, as it is for all of us. Why didn't they get stuck? Because they don't worship a God who gets stuck. They don't worship a God of Friday. Friday is the day of the cross. Friday is the day when they laid the body in the tomb. Friday is the day when the disciples went home grief-stricken and lost and uncertain that God was doing anything good. Friday was the day of darkness, and a lot of people get stuck on Friday. But Garrett and Danica know, just as you and I know, that our God is not the God of Friday. Our God is the God of Sunday. Our God says that whatever you are going through right now, the deep pain in your life, the pain that is like a crucifixion, the pain that is tearing you apart from the inside out, that is not where your story ends. And it may be Friday for you, or it may be Saturday for you, and you may be thinking, God is doing nothing. He has left me. I am alone. This is as good as it's going to get. I may as well check out. Don't. Because God is never stuck. God is always up to something. God is always working to move us as individuals and as a people from Friday to Sunday, from death to life. Our God is a God who says the cross has no power here. Our God is a God who says death has no power, destruction has no power, terrorists have no power in the kingdom of God. And he says, I resurrect people all the time. I take the deep wounds of their lives and I bind them up so that they can be a planting of the Lord, an oak of righteousness, so that they can declare the glory of the Lord, who is a God of resurrection. Now let me tell you something. It takes a long time to grow an oak. It takes a long time to grow an oak. And I really wish I could predict when your Sunday is going to come. I really wish that when you sat in my office and you poured out your tears about your Friday, that I could say, oh, oh, here, look, I checked the, I checked the calendar. I know exactly when your Sunday is coming. Just hang in there. But I don't. I don't know it for me, and I don't know it for you. But here's what I know. 
Jesus Christ, who rose again from the dead, will come again in glory. He will come again. And all of this stuff that we have been carrying, all the deep wounds in our lives, all of the Friday garbage will be done with. It will be on the cross and done with forever. And we will live in resurrection fully and completely in ways that we can not even imagine right now. And because he came once as a babe in the manger, we know he will come again in glory. And in the meantime, we have all these shorter stories of Friday to Sunday, Friday to Sunday, Friday to Sunday. So if you're in a Friday spot right now, would you tell someone? If you're in a Friday spot right now, would you tell someone? Would you be honest enough to say, I'm in pain about this, I'm worried about this, this feels overwhelming to me and I need help? Because as we saw in the story of Garrett and we saw in the story of Danica and we see in the stories of each other, it's when we say, I am in pain, I have an injury, I have a loss, I need help, that God sends people in to bring us good news and to bind up our broken hearts and to set us free. Because the cycle goes on and on. He restores us and then he uses us to restore others. And so we love to move back to the Friday with people and say, I'm going to walk with you until Sunday comes. And if that's a week or a month or a year or 10 or not until God calls us home, I am with you. I am with you on Friday. I am with you on Saturday. And until Sunday morning comes, I am with you because my God did that for me. And so I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to testify to you again and again that God doesn't get stuck. That Yahweh is in the house. You're all, we're all little oak saplings. We're all trying to figure out how to put down our roots and make them a little firmer and reach up to heaven a little bit more. But it's God who's just pouring down the sun and pouring down the rain. But it takes a long time to grow an oak. So in the meantime, he also feeds us. He feeds us at his table. And he says, I know you're in the middle of Friday right now or you know somebody who is. So come and remember that Friday is not where the story ends. Come and be fed with the body and blood of Jesus Christ who took all the Friday garbage to the cross for us. Come to the table and remember that we worship a Sunday God.